Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. My guest today is a name that I think we are all very familiar with, and I would guess that I bet most of you have read at least one of her books. I am absolutely thrilled to share my interview with Dr. Temple Grandin. I know I often say I'm excited to share an interview or an episode, but you guys, my excitement for this interview was pretty much next level. Temple really shaped the way that I approached my first year teaching, and then from then on, how I set up learning opportunities for my students and how I tried to teach new skills. When I was a first year teacher and found out that most of my caseload was students with autism, I read every single book that Temple Grandin had out at that time and continued to follow her work. And I'm just so grateful that she has shared her experiences and expertise with the world. Dr. Temple Grandin is an internationally best-selling author and a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. Her newest book is called Navigating Autism, Nine Mindsets for Helping Kids on the Spectrum. I read this book in about two days. It's a great read. It's a quick read. I think this is a really valuable book for both parents as well as educators. And I was like furiously taking notes of things I wanted to talk to Temple about because this book is really filled with so much great advice. I am really humbled and honored to have had the opportunity to interview Temple Grandin. She was absolutely lovely to talk to. And I I wish I could have just continued chatting, but I had to, of course, be responsible 
respectful of her time. Um, in our interview, we talk about a lot of different topics. Um, Temple shares the importance of focusing on those older students, junior high and high school, and how we can really engage their strengths and what things helped her when she was an adolescent child. We talk about medical issues. We talk about um, how to approach challenging behaviors. We talk about how to stretch your learning experience. She covers a lot of ground. So without further ado, let's hear from the expert, Dr. Temple Grandin. Hi, Temple. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, great to be here. I, I have to tell you, it's it's really a big honor for me to talk with you. And I, I wanted to start off by really saying thank you. When I started in this field about 15 years ago as a special ed teacher, I found out that all of the students on my caseload had autism, and I think I read every book that you had out at the time, and it really shaped the way that I approached working with my students. So thank you so much for sharing you know, your knowledge with the world. Well, I appreciate that. And what way did it change how you interact with the kids? You know, it really helped me kind of start to think about the different ways people think. Um, one of my favorite books of yours is Thinking in Pictures, and I had a lot of students that I think had similar um, thought processes on how they approached like problem solving and and learning and leaning into that I think helped have me helps me have a lot of success with some of those students. Well, that's really good because of the way I think it's bottom up thinking. In other words, I compare something that's happening in the present with something from my previous experience or maybe something I've read. Yeah. And start to make those connections. That's right. Yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about your new book, which I'm really excited for everyone to read. Your new book is called Navigating Autism, The Nine Mindsets for Helping kid on the Kids on the Spectrum. And obviously this book is really valuable for parents, but I kind of kept thinking about it from like a teacher or clinician perspective and how helpful it'll be for them too. So can you share a little bit about your new book and who you wrote it for? Well, I think we're one... It's going to be really helpful to teachers, but I also think it's going to be really helpful to parents of newly diagnosed kids. And there seem to be two areas where they get diagnosis, real little kids. And uh, overall, we're doing quite well in a lot of places on the early intervention. But where we're not doing so well is the transfer to adulthood. You might have a kid who has no speech delay, diagnosed uh, fully verbal autism uh, you know, when he's in elementary school. And I'm seeing too much of what Deborah Moore calls label locking, where people get so stuck on the label, they don't see the whole child. And my mother had a very good sense of stretching me, getting me to try new things, not throwing me into some overwhelming situation, but gradually new things. Like when the opportunity came up when I was a teenager to go to my aunt's ranch, I was afraid to go. Mother gave me a choice. I could go for a week or I could go all summer. Once I got out there, I absolutely loved it. I talked to a mom where her son was afraid to go to a sleepaway camp. And when he got out there, found out that he loved it. Um, we've got to get them out doing things. We're, uh, I'm seeing too many teenagers that are fully verbal that aren't learning shopping. That's a tendency for a lot of parents to be way too overprotective, uh, not learning doing laundry, bank account, just basic life skill things that I was doing when I was much younger. Yeah. Why do you think parents get overprotective and are kind of not giving this exposure? I think they're just getting locked into the label. Yeah. And I spent um, you know, a lot of years working out in big uh, meatpacking plants um, 
uh, supervising the installation of equipment that I had designed. And I worked with a lot of skilled tradespeople where they were definitely either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And one of the worst things the schools ever did is taking out all the hands-on classes. Now, doing a skilled trade is not for everybody, but you have no way of knowing if it's the right thing if you never take shop. Or mm -hmm. you're not going to find out that musical instruments are the right thing for you if you never get a chance to play one. Um, this is, if, if people ask me all the time, what would I do if I could change one thing in education? It would be putting all the hands-on classes back in. Because I worked with a lot of quirky um, visual thinkers that had 20 patents that owned their own metal fabricating companies. And they would definitely be diagnosed with autism today. Absolutely, definitely. In fact, um, I think it's really uh, good that Elon Musk came out on Saturday Night Live and announced to the world that he was autistic. And I've always thought he was autistic when I first read Ashley Vance's book about him. But now I can say it because he's come out. Yeah. And I think those classes would be beneficial for everyone. There's so many opportunities for jobs and, and learning and, and for all students, that's such valuable learning lessons, that life lessons that they're just totally missing out on. Well, I think it's a real issue because we're raising a younger generation today that's totally removed from the practical. I had a student in my class who had never measured anything with a ruler. Um, I also am seeing really bad problems today with college students with their writing skills. They're just not very good at just writing clearly. And that was something that helped my career because it's a scene in the HBO movie where I go up to the editor of our state farm magazine and I get his card because I knew if I wrote for that magazine, that would really help my career. And then I produced a decent article. And that's because when I was in elementary school and middle school, the teachers corrected my work. I had written book reports. I had learned how to write. And a lot of college students today, their writing skills, just good, clear writing, uh, is it's really bad. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, emailing and texting where you don't need to have, you know, proper format and grammar. And that it, that's really all falling by the wayside. Well, you do need to have it because if I had not had some proper grammar, uh, I would have written, I would have gotten the card from the editor, I would have written for the magazine, they probably wouldn't have used the article because it would have been written so horribly. Yeah. Um, that was something that was important for my career. Another thing that was very important was portfolios. Um, since I was weird, I showed off my work to sell a livestock handling equipment uh, job. I'd show them drawings, I'd show them photos. Uh, in fact, at the magazine, when we got, when the magazine got sold and we got a new boss, the new boss didn't like me very much. But fortunately, the lady who did the graphics and the, all the typesetting stuff, she, I think she was on the spectrum. And she said, this new boss doesn't like you. We're going to get a whole portfolio together of every article you've done in the last few years. And I got all the articles and I put them in this big scrapbook. And I showed them to Jim, the new owner, and he gave me a raise. <laughs> so in that situation, I saved my job by showing off my work. I learned a long time ago to sell my work. And when I wrote for that magazine and I covered a cattle feeders meeting, I'd cover it very accurately and clearly. And I got respect for that, for doing good work. And, and you, you talk about this in your book about, you know, finding the students' strengths. And obviously you've been so successful because you found your strengths. Um, can you talk a little bit about how teachers can, can help guide their students in this process too, to find 
what they're strengthened because that ties into all this, you know, trades and vocational skills. Well, absolutely. And if students have a wide variety of different things they can do at school, then they have an opportunity where they can show off where their strengths are. My ability in art showed up around third or fourth grade, and my mother always encouraged that. And I would just draw the same horse head over and over again. My mother would go, let's draw the horse, uh, an <laughs> entire horse. Let's draw the saddle. Let's draw where we're going to ride to. You want to take that thing the child's interested in. Horses would be the interest. Art would be the strength. And a lot of kids who are good at art are also good with mechanical things. Um, a lot of the people I worked with that had all the patents, they were visual thinkers like me. And I'm getting very interested in, in research on the different kinds of minds. And I wrote about that in an earlier book called The Autistic Brain. I am what's called an object visualizer. And there's actually scientific research that supports this. Everything I think about is a picture. And when you watch the HBO movie, Temple Grandin, it shows exactly how I think visually. And when I first started out uh, working with cattle, it was obvious to me to look at what <coughs> the cattle were seeing. And there'd be a shadow on the ground or there'd be a coat hanging on a fence, something like that. And they would, um, that would make them refuse to go through the facility. Now, at the time, when I was in my 20s, I thought everybody thought in pictures the same way I did. And then I discovered in my late 30s that a lot of other people think in words. So let's look at what the research is showing. You've got the object visualizers like me, good at art, really good at mechanical things, but horrible at algebra. I'm seeing too many students not graduating from high school as they can't do algebra. Fortunately, I managed to get out of algebra. And that was just a quirk in the college math requirements in 1967. Uh, algebra wasn't the required class. Another kind of thinker is the more mathematical mind. This is what's called the spa uh, visual spatial mind. And these people think in patterns. So I think in like photorealistic pictures, there's other kids that think in patterns. They're going to be good at math. They often are very good at music. And then, of course, you've got your word thinker, your verbal thinker. And what I've learned about verbal thinking is verbal thinkers overgeneralize. And I think this is part of the problems of the label locking. Because autism is now this spectrum. It's going from Elon Musk and Einstein, who had no speech until age three, to somebody who never learns to dress themselves. Now, to a visual thinker, to put that same label on that wide range doesn't make any sense. Because uh, they have totally different needs. But when you think verbally, you tend to just clump them all together. And I'm seeing... Uh, you know, parents getting stuck in that label locking. And a lot of parents get way too overprotective and do everything for their child. And they're not learning basic skills like ordering food in restaurants, go in a store, buy something, uh, learn how to save money. I was learning those things at a very young age. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. How can a teacher encourage parents of their students in their classroom to kind of like what your mother did, like just stretch the learning? Like how can how can teachers encourage parents to do that? Well, I have to say sometimes I've not been very nice about it. <laughs> and I've had the parents write to me five years later saying, thank you. 
I did some of the things you told me to do. It was hard. But now my kid just bought a house. Wow. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I like to see. But I think some parents have trouble letting go. They get too much into the special needs parent mindset. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine their kid uh, doing something else. So what I've tried to do is, um, you know, when especially when I'm showing my PowerPoint slides, is open up the whole world of, you know, factories and stuff like that that I've worked in. And people that I worked with that were designing entire factories were probably on the autism spectrum. And now what's happening, that kids are getting addicted to video games. Yeah. And what I'm seeing with the older, fully verbal kids and young adults, you have two paths, go to the bedroom or the basement to play video games or get out and have a life. And I looked up, uh, Elon Musk was really into video games, but he was making them and selling them. Now, I, I looked up the games that he would have played based on his age as a teenager. And the games that he would have played were not the really addictive ones we have now. They were the old clunky Mario the Plumber type of things, yeah. not anywhere near as addictive. And there were plenty of opportunities to, when they crashed to get interested in the blue screens of computer code. <laughs> and that's not happening now. I just wonder if Elon Musk had been 10 or 15 years younger, what would have happened to him? Maybe he would have been addicted to video games rather than selling them because that's where he learned a lot of work skills. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much potential for jobs in that whole like tech space for kids that are interested in this and this is their strength. Well, the thing that's a problem is if these uh, kids that were addicted to video games were getting wonderful jobs in the video game industry, I wouldn't be criticizing it. If they were becoming game designers or they were programming them and getting great careers, that would be fine, but that's not what's happening. They're not learning the program and make the games. And you think that shift will start with parents, you know, well, pushing their with, kids? They got to limit the video games. Absolutely mm. have got to limit it. And that's why I came out with some other books like The Outdoor Scientist, Get Kids Outside Observing, uh, Calling All Minds, which is all my childhood projects I did, things like paper snowflakes, uh, little kites that I made that I had to tinker and tinker and tinker to figure out how to get them to work. And when I did a book signing for Calling All Minds, I think about four years ago, I was horrified to discover that 20 to 30% of the kids in a nice town outside of Denver had never made a paper airplane. You know, they were just totally removed from all things practical. They're also terrified to make mistakes. Yeah. And I think some of that is due to not doing real, actual physical things. Because if uh, to make my little kite work, I tinkered and I tinkered and tinkered and I tried all different kinds of designs and then I'd take them outside and try them. Then that didn't work. I'd go back inside and modify it and then try it again. It's like teaching problem solving skills. But it was problem solving with a real actual thing. Yes. Yeah, that's the key too, is like not having everything be contrived. Like there's so many real world ways to work on all these skills. Well, I remember my sister and I um, having a Kool-Aid stand when we were really young and we ran out of sugar. I learned two things from that. There's a disgusting amount of sugar in Kool-Aid. <laughs> and the other thing I learned is you better have enough supplies. I'll never forgot that. And yeah, and from from that real, you know, you were, that was your inventory. You needed inventory and yeah. and supplies, and and you and you learned from from actually doing it, not like reading a story about it or pretending. Well, that's the thing. It was real. 
Yeah, I remember I'm going to this big can that we kept the sugar in, and there wasn't enough for the next batch. And we used half the sugar, and it tasted absolutely awful. Never <laughs> forgot that. Yeah, once you taste the bad Kool-Aid, you learn. <laughs> yeah, I learned. Uh, one of the things I loved in your book, and actually the start of the book, you talk about temporary states versus stable traits. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, it's um, that's kind of an abstract concept, but... Okay, let's say a kid has trouble with, you know, with emotional regulation. Well, when they learn to control it, then you're done with that. I had problems when I was in school with temper tantrums, and you've got to look at what's causing it. And a lot of mine were, I would get tired, and that was the consequence for temper tantrum. A temper tantrum at school was no TV for one night. And you have to figure out what might be causing that kind of a behavior. If you have a nonverbal individual, the first thing you have to rule out if you're having behavior problems is a painful medical problem they cannot tell you about, like a stomach ache or an ear infection or a tooth infection. Um, does the meltdowns happen in a noisy place? Then that may be sensory overload. The other thing that can cause a lot of meltdowns is frustration with not being able to communicate. You've got to give them a way to communicate. And then once you rule out those three things, Maybe it is just behavior. Get attention, get out of doing something. So there's kind of a checklist you need to go through. Um, there isn't just one size fits all for solving problems with meltdowns. Yeah, that kind of goes back to that, like getting stuck in the label. You know, if we're just like, well, they have tantrums, but there could be so much more to it. Well, there could be. And with a nonverbal individual, I'm not talking about a three-year-old here, but, you know, older nonverbal individual, if their behavior has been good and then suddenly takes a turn for the worst, First thing I want to work on is, is there a hidden painful medical problem? Acid reflux, that's no, big number one, constipation, um, things that are totally treatable because doctors get label locked mm -hmm. and they go, oh, well, it's just his autism, where in reality, the uh, kid had a bad problem with his stomach that was totally treatable, yes. sometimes with an over-the-counter uh, medication. That was like my, you're, you're reading my brain here. That was my next question about that. That chapter on medical conditions I thought was was great as well because I don't think that's talked about enough by, by parents and teachers, the underlying medical concerns and how to figure out what's going on. Well, gastrointestinal problems definitely are increased in individuals with autism. There's a lot of research on that, but they're also treatable. And, and um, the thing, the other thing that's different between verbal thinking and the way I think is I'm a bottom-up thinker. So I learn concepts by putting specific examples into categories where the verbal thinker is top-down. Oh, well, it's just autism. Well, you're putting too many apples, oranges, and grapes all together in the same category. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm finding that when I... Uh, People ask me questions, well, how do I teach autistic kids or how do I do this? They ask very generalized questions where I don't have enough information. Now, I've got a few generalities. Multitasking is going to be an issue. So for a job, do not put them on the super crazy McDonald's takeout window. That's where you don't put them. Don't put them in a chaotic store at, during the holidays. That's going to be a problem. You need the quieter kinds of jobs without multitasking. Another generality in instructing them how to do the job. Uh, do not burden them with long strings of verbal information. They will not remember it. Give them a checklist, like a pilot's tech checklist. Okay, this is how you um, 
finish up the cash drawer in the evening. Step one, step two, step three, little checklist. Um, those are two things you can do to help, um, you know, make the job be successful. Vagueness doesn't work. Another pr basic principle is surprises scare. Surprises scare. So if you have to, you know, go to a new school or something like that, it would be ideal to visit it before you go there to look at the websites. Uh, let's say you're going to go on a trip. You want to look at um, um, pictures of where you're going. Um, let's say first airplane ride. Make sure it's not a surprise. Some airports even allow practice um, uh, practice uh, going through security and stuff at the airport. But if that's not possible, lots of videos. What you want to do is make this new experience interesting. Interesting. Then the, then the, the, fear, the fear can go away and it becomes interesting. Looking forward to their trip. And you watch stuff like pictures of planes taking off and that's like really super cool and you're going to be in one. You want to make sure it's not a surprise. That's yeah. another basic principle. I don't like surprises either. I, 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 I agree with that for myself that, you know, everyone's going to be in a better better state and, and, and an opportunity for enjoying it, like you said. And it's interesting when you're prepared. And I think, I think that would be, you know, great. Those are those generalities that you shared are, are great things to share that teachers can share with parents, you know, that they can be doing at home for chores and for those opportunities to stretch. Well, let's look at the job thing. One of the things the kids got to learn is how do I do a task outside the family where somebody else is the boss? Okay. We start off with chores for little kids and now we're going to need something to replace the old paper routes that are gone. Because I've talked to a whole lot of granddads, and these granddads find out they're autistic when the kids get diagnosed. And granddad's an accountant or an engineer. And uh, granddad had a paper route at age 11. So what can we do to replace that? Maybe a church volunteer job, maybe a um, volunteer at the farmer's market where they do a task that they have to do every week, and it's on a schedule. And then the instant they're legal, they need to be getting real jobs. I want to see the fully verbal kids in two real jobs before they graduate from high school. So we're having a gradual transition from the world of school to the world of work before they graduate from high school. But I want to emphasize it's never too late. There have been successes with um, weaning video game addicted adults off of video games with auto mechanics. Now, again, that's not for everybody, but I think the visual thinkers like me are the ones most likely to get addicted to video games. And but if you if you're going to wean somebody off of video games, you got to replace them with something else and you do it gradually. Here's another basic principle, gradual transitions. But you got to move ahead and keep transitioning. What are some tips for parents on on trying to help their their child find those jobs during high school? Because I, I mean, that's such a great point. Having two jobs before you graduate high school. What are how can parents support their kids in this like job search process? Let's short circuit the interview. Let's just short circuit that. Half of all good jobs are backdoor through informal contacts. That's for everybody. So let's look at who do you know in the neighborhood? Now, my mind thinks in specific examples. And an autistic person was just placed in a wonderful job receiving samples for a food safety lab. And they love him because he's not going to mix up the samples or do it wrong. And that was just a connection through the, a, a couple of families. Um, that was back door. And these kind of opportunities are everywhere and people just don't see them. I'll ask parents, well, 
who do you know that owns a shop? I was just talking to one mom the other day and I go, oh, I know a little florist shop. Well, your kid likes plants. You could work in a florist shop. And you just set it up and you just do it. And you start out slowly. You don't work, you know, full time. Of course, when they're young, they're not allowed to do that. But you just start it out slowly and you find somebody willing to work with them. You see, too often people think the front door is the only way in and there's a huge back door. And that's something I figured out um, all along on that scene in the movie where I get the editor's card. It's an important scene because I saw that writing for that magazine was a way to really enhance my career. Yeah, that's great advice. And I went up and I got the card and then I produced the articles. Yeah, that 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 connection thing is is, is great advice. And, and I think teachers could be doing that too, thinking who can come to my class and teach us about this? Like thinking of junior high and high school teachers, if you know someone that's in an industry or a, a, has a shop can come in and, and teach your class. Well, and, and, um, but I, I know a person that has a great big metal fabrication shop and he's selling stuff all around the world. He's autistic, dyslexic, stutters really badly. He was saved by a single welding class. He would not have had that business if he hadn't taken that welding class. Yeah. Now, for somebody else, welding wouldn't be the right thing. But if you get exposed to a variety of things, then you can find out, well, what kind of things you'd be good at. Um, another person um, was in the school play and they decided that, you know, acting in TV shows was something they wanted to do. But I'm a big believer in portfolio. You sell the work, not yourself. That's how I sold Cargill. I designed the front end of every single Cargill beef plant in North America. Half the cattle in the, this country are handled in the cat, in stuff I designed. And the way I sold that job is in the late 80s, I sent a portfolio. The head of Cargill had a big fold-out drawing in it. It had uh, plastic pages with some pictures. It had a brochure, a couple of trade magazine articles, and a cover letter. 30-second wow. 30-second <laughs> wow. That's how I sold it. You were really thinking like outside the box of like, what's the best way to, you know, showcase and package my skills. Like it doesn't have to be in one certain way. Well, and the other thing is don't put too much junk in a portfolio. You basically want a 30 second. Well, let's say the person's really good at Python computer programming. Well, you want it really neat. You might have a half a page of code titled really neat, what the code was for. So that somebody that knows coding goes, wow. The other thing you've got to do is get this portfolio into the hands of the people that will appreciate it. Because a lot of HR people are very you know, social kind of people. you got to get that portfolio shown to the techies. And uh, I don't know, you might be in line at the grocery store and you see a name tag hanging around somebody's neck of a big tech company and you whip out that phone <laughs> in that grocery line and you show them your kid's portfolio. Yes, I love that. <laughs> That's the kind of mindset you got to have. Yeah. I love um, how much this book and in general, how much you talk about, you know, upcoming adults and adults, because, you know, we have, I think, you know, said at the start of this interview, we're doing pretty good with the, the younger kids, but, That's right. but what's happening in, in junior high and in high school and then beyond when school's just done. So I think it's so helpful for everyone that you're focusing so much on this group. Well, the other thing is driving. And if I hadn't learned driving, I wouldn't have um, been able to do the cattle industry. And because of the multitasking issue, it's going to take longer. Uh, I was lucky that on my aunt's ranch, the mailbox was three miles away on a dirt road. So that gave me 36 miles a week 
of driving on dirt roads where there's no multitasking. And let's start out in the big parking lots, 20 minutes a day. Lots and lots and lots of practice. Maybe even before you do driver's ed. Driver's ed chucks them into it way too fast. Yeah. And you work into it slowly, but you work into it, starting out in very safe places in the beginning where there's nothing to hit. And then you might go to deserted office parks on the weekends, you know, where there's no traffic. And then you gradually work into into traffic. Um, and, and a lot of parents are, you know, scared to let their kid drive. Well, let's start out in the middle of a gigantic parking lot and find one that has no light posts. So there's <laughs> nothing to hit. And you see, I see it. I'm seeing certain parking lots. I mean, we have a closed uh, JCPenney store, some grass growing out of that parking lot. That'd be the perfect place. You see, I see the place where I can do it. You see, it's not abstract. It's also specific. Yeah. And then starting to, like, I think encourage, you know, parents and teachers to see those opportunities too. you know, see like, hey, this would be a great spot. Even when your kid's 10, like when they're 16 in six years, I'm going to take them to this parking lot, starting to like, just in the future, think of what things are possible. Well, that's right. And, and I think of one thing, this, this term label locking, and that was one of Deborah Moore's terms. I've got to give her credit for that. And I think it's a really good term because they get so into the label. And I hate to say it, I think the verbal thinkers are the worst about this because of top-down generalized thinkers. Also, the medical model is a disability mindset. You're looking at what they can't do. You know, they are going to be socially awkward, but they can learn how to do basic uh, social interactions. Also, the things that give me enjoyment in life are um, doing interesting things. That gives me enjoyment and I get emotional satisfaction out of that. It's a different kind of mind. And and we need all the different kinds of minds. And some of the people that are autistic, this is something I got emotional about. I was down in New Orleans and I saw the giant pumping stations that they have. And I thought of the perfect job. You have an autistic guy that just loves that pump, loves it so much, his whole life revolves around that pump. And I get emotional when I think about this. But that's the guy that's going to keep that pump working. And when there's a flood, when he turns it on, it will work and it will save the city. Yeah, and we need that person. For a mechanically minded person on the autism spectrum, because they're going to care about that pump more Mm -hmm. than anything else. It'll be the most important thing in their life. And when the pump works, it will save the city. And our society and communities need that that guy. And there's different versions of that guy. You're so, I mean, it is, it's such a... That's right. It's, it is something to be emotional about because we are, we need everyone. And I think sometimes we, when you, like you said, that medical model doesn't view our learners in that way. Well, it's too much of a deficit. I like what Stephen Hawking had to say about disability. He was quoted by the New York Times shortly before he died. Uh, Concentrate on the things your disability does not prevent you from doing well. And what Stephen Hawking could do well was math in his head. Also, let's say we got a little kid who's good at math. Don't make him do the baby stuff. Move him ahead in math. Mm -hmm. Move him ahead. Yeah, meet him where they're at. I'm not suggesting putting him in high school, but let's say he's in third grade or she's in the third grade. We'll bring the high school materials to the third grade classroom and let them work on them. That's not hard to do. Don't give me a reason why you can't do that. It's not hard and it's not expensive. Yes, that's so true. 
Oh, Temple, thank you. This, I mean, I have so enjoyed talking with you and I think all of this advice is so, so valuable and will hopefully, you know, is, is I know it's making an impact on, on so many students and individuals across the country. Um, I'd love to wrap up with, you know, most of my audience is teachers, which hopefully can have such a big impact on this young generation we've been talking about. What, you know, inspiration or motivation or big picture advice do you have for for teachers that are working with learners on the spectrum? Good teachers were totally helped me. I had a wonderful speech teacher. I had a fabulous third grade teacher. And then one of my most important teachers, Mr. Carlock, my science teacher, because I was a bored student who didn't care about studying. And he gave me interesting projects to do. And he showed me how studying was a pathway of becoming a scientist. Um, my science teacher was a very, very important teacher. Uh, another teacher that really helped me when I got started in animal science was Philip Stiles, who taught the introductory animal science class. When I was in college, the wonderful new math teacher tutored me in the finite math in his office. I had some very good teachers, and they were essential for my success. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of good teachers. So it takes, you know, that even if you, you know, it takes one great teacher can really you know, make a difference. So well, everyone that's working hard, it's been a hard time to be a teacher, I think, in, you know, in the last well, few that's years. Right. I think Mr. Carlock, my science uh, teacher, um, was one of the most important um, teachers. And uh, interestingly enough, he did not have an education degree. He was just a tech technical kind of a guy and um, really creative. And he, I was interested in optical illusions and all of the optical illusions that were shown in the movie. I actually built that Ames distorted room and and but good teachers can make such a difference i worked with um with guys in skilled trades when we were out working on these big meat packing plants where they were the boy that was in a lot of trouble and they were turned around by the shop teacher and i think wow. it's too bad the day that we don't have those shop teachers too that can uh take some of these visual thinking kids that are just being piles of trouble and and get them turned around doing shop um i have very interesting talk with a with a man who did, does high steel on big buildings, putting up the framework, you know, many, many floors above the ground. He said, I used to be that angry young man, but then I got into high steel. I got really proud of my work and the anger went away. Wow. Well, I think you're just going to encourage all these high school teachers across the country to go to their administrators and be like, we need to bring back shop. We need to bring back trades in our in our high schools. Trades, and but we also need to bring back sewing, cooking, woodworking, theater, music, all of those those kinds of things. Because in some schools, about all you can learn is 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 algebra, English and sports. And sports is great for some kids, but usually autistic kids aren't that good at sports. There are a few exceptions, but I was one of the ones that was not that good at it. And, and for most kids, sports is not going to be a career. There are a few exceptions. Um, but you've got to try things in order to find out what you might like to do for a career. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Well, thank you. Thank you, Temple, so much. I encourage everyone to, to check out your new book, Navigating Autism by um, Temple and Grandin and Deborah Moore. I, I really enjoyed reading it. And thank you so much for sharing your perspective and expertise and knowledge with all of us. Um, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Well, thank you very, very much. And I also want to let people know I am a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. And um, autism is an important part of who I am. 
but having an interesting career is what's really made life worthwhile. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Temple. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.